Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Welcome, everyone. Great to have you joining us tonight. This is slightly different. As you see, we've got a panel here tonight, and it's an amazing panel. And we're going to be talking about something we don't always talk about is the earth that we've been given to care for. And with the earth comes the people. And so just before I introduce the panel that you can see here, I, just, I want to read a little bit to you from Psalm 24. It says, The earth is the, is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. I just want to pause on that for a moment. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, when um, someone gives you something to care for for a time, if you do something that um, messes it up, you feel really bad, like, you know, on a very basic level. I've got some friends who borrowed, who were asked to care for someone's budgie while they went away on holidays. And uh, those people could be listening. What happened was the budgie was in a cage on the table and a cat jumped up on the table and knocked the cage over and the door of the cage flew open and the budgie flew up into the ceiling fan. And it was the end of the budgie. And they were terrified by how they were going to bring this news to the neighbours that their much-loved budgie had gone because they were asked to care for the budgie and they were very, very well aware that it was not their bird. And they went and bought another budgie. And as soon as the people came home, they said, that's not our budgie because they're invested in that budgie. And on a much greater scale, the earth is the Lord's. And sometimes we forget that. We think yeah. the earth is ours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people who live in it, it's like the people that you're sitting with now, they actually belong to the Lord. For he founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. And sometimes our problem is that we forget that we are stewards of this beautiful world that we've been given. And we're stewards of caring for the beautiful people that are put in our lives, even the ones that frustrate us sometimes. We've been cared to look after them. So that's what we want to talk about tonight in our Living Generously series. So I want to introduce you to our panel tonight. Firstly, we've got John Attia. John is Laureate Professor of Medicine and Clinical Epidemiology at the University of Newcastle, and he has expertise in population, clinical, molecular, and genetic epidemiology. He has been listed on the NHMRC Register of Evidence-Based Medicine Experts and has provided epidemiological expertise to the Therapeutic Goods Administration and the Medical Services of Advisory Committee. He was Academic Director of General Medicine at John Hunter Hospital, responsible for the Advanced Training Program, and is now Assistant Dean of Research for the Faculty of Health and Medicine at the University of Newcastle. Laureate Professor John Attia received both the University of Newcastle and the HMRI Awards for Research Excellence in 2012 in recognition of his expertise in research methodology, analysis, and molecular genetics. So welcome, John. Thanks for being here tonight. And then we have Mark. Mark Wojcik is passionate about living sustainably in a way that values the relationships between God, humanity, and our earth in a way that can be repeated by future generations. He is currently working on a research project investigating a new battery storage technology for renewable energy at the University of Newcastle, and he leads Granary's sustainability ministry, which is called Sustain. And he loves exploring our planet and creating. So welcome, Mark. 
Lauren Enright is a girl with a deep heart for God's justice and restoration. Lauren currently works at Christians Against Poverty, but has worked for and volunteered at numerous organisations that similarly seek to uplift people and bring freedom, such as Micah and Compassion. She has a particular interest in understanding human systems and her place in them, of which the environment is the key. What an amazing panel we have here tonight, and I'm looking forward to hearing from the three of you. So, John, I just want to start off by asking you this question. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care for it, or take care of it. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This verse is really the foundation for a theology of the environment, how we see it as um, stewards of God creation. So can you explain how we can understand this verse more fully? So this is really a key verse to understand for setting the framework for how we approach the environment. Um, and it's important to start a few verses back because in, in um, verse 8, it's important to note the Lord God had planted a garden uh, in the east, in Eden. So the, the garden originally belongs to God, and he invites us to um, work it and take care of it. And so if we look at the original Hebrew uh, for those two, the first one, work it, is the Hebrew word abad, which actually means to work on behalf of another or to serve another by laboring. The Hebrew scholar Sandra Richter, who's written a fantastic book called Stewards of Eden, actually explores this language and says these kinds of words are used, um, and this is an image that would have been very familiar um, to the Israelites. It refers to a king who gives a land grant to a laborer. So the land remains the property of the king, and uh, they are called to tend it and guard it as stewards, to look after it as, as he would. And in Israel, being an agrarian society, that kind of image would have really resonated with them. A lot of them would have been working the land on behalf of a landowner. So that imagery would have made sense to them. And that, that kind of framework also makes, helps us make sense and understand the tithes and the first fruits that we see throughout the Old Testament, um, because they would have understood that as, as the equivalent of a rent or a tax. When you work the land for another, you give that uh, first fruit or that tithe back to the owner uh, of the land. But it's important to note that it's not a relationship of slavery or simply labor, because the second word there, we said, um, God put man in the garden to work it and take care of it. That second word, the Hebrew, is shamar, which actually refers to holding property in trust. So it's when you place somebody to look after your property while you're um, not there. And it's also the same word for bodyguard. So it, we're almost called to be caretakers and bodyguards for the land. Mm. So there's really that element of trust and partnership. So yes, we work the land on behalf of the king, but he's doing that in a relationship of trust uh, and partnering uh, with us. And I think it's really interesting that Jesus continues that image in his parables. So in Matthew 21, where we have the parable of the evil farmers, it's called. If you remember, um, there's a, a landowner who plants the vineyard. He goes away, rents it out to some farmers. And then when the harvest come, uh, he sends his servants to collect the first fruits or the tithe. And they kill the servants. He sends more servants. They kill them. 
Then he sends his son, they kill him. And obviously in that case, it's a parable to the Pharisees and the Sadducees about how they've rejected him. But the parable ends with the king coming back and they come to a wretched end uh, and he gives the vineyard to those who will take care of it. So I think it's interesting that even in Jesus's parables, he uses the same kind of framework and understanding uh, mm. of the land. Mm. That, that's beautiful. And it shows that to, we need to have that mentality that we are embraced to partner, um, with, which is a huge responsibility, but not as slaves. And it's a key yeah. part to us being human and being created in the image of God. And sometimes uh, a ministry like we have in the granary called Sustain is often seen as a, like a little side issue. But if you ask Mark, I think Mark would not see the little side issue of the granary. Can you tell us a little bit about Sustain, Mark? Sure. Yeah, so we started Sustain in 2018 and really just wanted to build it. Build on the basis, like, like John's been talking about, we, we believe we've been given a, a mandate to, to care for our planet and, and everything in it. And we really believe that this, this can be fun and life-giving for all involved. So it's different initiatives that we do. We, I think firstly, we really just look to build relationships between like-minded people, you know, hosting different events and seasonal meals, that sort of thing. And then also just building it off a, I guess, a desire to explore nature and, and really inspiring awe and love and refreshment. So things like bushwalks um, and then education as well. So documentary nights and we've invited in different guest speakers to talk about the future of food production and energy usage and that sort of thing. And then also just looking at helping to improve the operations of the church itself. So providing advice, you know, when we're asked to about um, different measures that we can put in place around increasing recycling or sustainable options for the consumables we purchase. So, yeah, there, there are a few of the different areas that we engage in. That's mm, fabulous. And, and you're doing a great job with that, Mark, as well. It's fabulous. So, John, when you look at all this, what do you think this means for us for how we're to look after the land and the animals on the earth? So a, a lot of um, some a lot of the passages that we look at now in the Old Testament that seem a bit puzzling is really God giving the Israelites a blueprint for what kingdom living looks like. What does it mean to relate um, uh, to the land, to the animals in a, um, in a healthy way, in a right relationship, living in shalom with, with the world that God has created? And the two elements that come through in, in God's economy are really generosity and trust. And we see that in a number of ways. So Sandra Richter that I mentioned previously, who wrote this book called Stewards of Eden, has actually gone back in the records and found that for the Israelites live, living at the time of the Old Testament, they really would have been not only agrarian, but subsistence farming. So they were really on the borderline of star starvation most of the time. And they probably had the average family of five would have had 60 days a year where they would have starved because there just wasn't enough food. So when you, you have that in mind, that's the context for understanding some of these Old Testament passages. So for example, Exodus 23, 12 says, six days do your work, but on the seventh do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the alien may be refreshed. It's like God is saying to the Israelites, 
you know what it's like to be slaves and to be driven without mercy, um, you know, when you were in Egypt. And now I've released you from that. And I expect you to not drive your land and not drive your cattle and not drive your servants in the same way that you used to be driven. This is a new kingdom way of living that reflects, um, you know, kingdom values. And, and he says, don't do it to the people, don't do it to the animals, but don't do it to the land either. In Exodus 23, um, verse 10, he says, for six years, you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor may get food from it and the wild animals may eat what they leave and do the same with your vineyard and olive grove. So really, you're asking people who are starving 60 days out of the year to be generous in terms of what they they leave to the animals, to the passersby, to the homeless or the poor that might be walking um, and letting them take some of that grain that their own family would would love to mm. have. That's that's an image of generosity mm. um, that is really quite powerful. But not only that, it's not only every seventh year that you let the land lie fallow. There's every seventh cycle of seven years, there's that jubilee year. So it was actually in the 49th year, there was a Sabbath year where they wouldn't uh, plow the fields. Then the 50th year was the year of jubilee where they wouldn't plow the fields. And then in the 51st year, they would um, have the whole season to plant and not get any food till the end of that. So really, you were asking starving people to trust God for three years. And, and God specifically says in Leviticus, I will provide for you. Mm. Trust me. Um, so this is, these are really images that God um, gives them to say, this is what the kingdom looks like. Um, mm. You need to trust me and you need to be generous, even when you're starving. And, and you know, there's even that verse that's um, often puzzling in Deuteronomy 25 that says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. It turns out an ox can eat five to seven pounds of grain a day. And so you're telling a starving family, don't take all that that grain and let Mm. your animals feed on it too. Mm. That's the kind of generosity and trust that God is expecting from his people. Mm. And that's that's the kind of shalom relationship, living in right relationship with the environment um, around you. Fascinating. Because I think particularly we as city dwellers, and all of us here as city dwellers, uh, don't often see the importance of, uh, and that it's even um, God's heart that we dwell in harmony with the environment around us, with the, the land, with the animals, that we care for, for all of it. So, Lauren, some people would say that, well, humans are more important than the rest of creation. So, in that case, shouldn't we be focusing our efforts on meeting the needs of people rather than addressing the environmental issues. What do you want to say about that? Yeah, I think, I think yeah, John has already said a lot, and I think we've all, even Marcus said, the position that we have is one of, of caretakers, of, um, of being stewards. And so, like, there's no doubt that humans are, we're special to God, we're precious to him, but, like, he's given the creation as a gift and it's therefore... Um, yeah, it's also a responsibility, right? Um, so I think to put uh, human needs versus the environment um, potentially, um, yeah, not the um, the way to think about it would be that us humans are we actually here to be caring for the environment. And I think that aside, uh, if we're looking at our modern world, 
Um, and that's really fascinating to hear, John, about um, yeah, the context of caring for the land. And I really think that still stands today. But, you know, these days, I, you know, the reason for the environmental distress that we see now in our um, day is not usually linked to our human need. It's um, a little bit more, uh, you'd say, our access and maybe overuse and, and not taking that caring. So like an example that um, I've come across a lot, which I'm sure you um, would have um, come across too, would be fast fashion. And so, you know, as humans, one of our needs is to be clothed. And that's uh, something that we do need. But um, textile waste is one of those things that's just causing a lot of havoc on our environment and it isn't actually linked to our human need. Um, yeah, that is an excess amount. And so, yeah, I think um, the like human needs versus environment needs, they don't actually need to be pinned against each other. And I think secondly, too, when you're wanting to look after humans, which is great, right? We're called to look after each other. It's a uh, actually a great way to look after um, your fellow humans is to look after the environment. And so the, uh, those who uh, you know, experience a lot of um, the ill effects of the environmental destruction, you know, if we want to be looking after them, well, one way to be doing that is to ensure that the environment, one is that is going to be able to support them and help them thrive. Yeah, so you're going to actually be caring for both um, when you start to look at the environment and say, hey, how can we actually... Um, yeah, look after this in the way that God has asked us to and, and take that responsibility and the trust that um, he's given us, um, yeah, to be those caretakers. It's beautiful. Yes, because as it says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it and we, we are a holistic group of people and we, are, we need the environment and we need to care for it. You know, if you've ever been to a country that's really the land has been denuded because of people's selfishness and then people live in poverty because of it, can see, like from what you're saying, John, that the key to looking after the environment is actually hidden in the Bible. That if we just took what um, was said in the Bible, we would be able to care for it really well. So, what do you think this means for some of our modern farming practices? So, this was really enlightening. In the in that same book, Stewards of Eden, there's some um, very revealing things about factory farming uh, as it stands now. So, just for example, chickens. So. Caged chickens apparently are raised uh, in cages no bigger than an A4 square of paper. So they spend their lifetime just in that space. And they've been bred to grow so quickly that they can no longer carry their own weight. So it used to be that chickens would take 112 days from uh, birth to death, and they would end up weighing somewhere around two and a half pounds. Now it takes 47 days from birth to death and they end up weighing 5.8 pounds. And that's partly through breeding and partly because they're kept under constant light so that they feed continually. They think it's daytime all the time. And, and so they end up feeding and not exercising and they just, they get so heavy so quickly, they just collapse under their own weight. Yeah, wow. And so you look at that and you think of the Old Testament where God is saying, give your animals a break, let them eat the grain, don't keep driving them. You know, how does that match up? And it doesn't. And it's the same thing with the land. Apparently, now with monoculture, we, we plant the same seed and the same crop over and over multiple times a year. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't really uh, give the land a chance to rest. So we're, we're actually exhausting the land. Apparently, in the 1940s, if you took into account the fossil fuel that was needed to generate the fertilizers, the pesticides, and the tractors, 
one calorie of fossil fuel would make two calories of food. Mm -hmm. And now we've exhausted the land to such a degree that it takes 10 calories of fossil fuel to make one calorie of food. Wow. You know, and again, put that next to what the Old Testament says about Mm -hmm. let your land lie fallow and let it rest and don't keep driving it. Mm-hmm. And, and there's really a disconnect between what, what we're doing nowadays in, in those areas and, and the kind of kingdom values that we see uh, in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's really brought about by greed. Um, it was interesting in that same book, they have a quote from um, Gus Speth, who was chairman of the Council on Environmental Quality under uh, President Jimmy Carter in the States. And this is what he says. I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, ecosystem collapse, and climate change. I thought that 30 years of good science could address these problems, but I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. Wow. Wow. That I is that so telling. telling. And, uh, you know, because sometimes some people think, well, how come we're talking about the environment in church tonight? What's that got to do with being a follower of Jesus? And as you, uh, hopefully you're starting to hear everything. It has everything to do with a follower, to being a follower of Jesus. Because when you get the uh, this awestruck wonder of the God who's the creator, just step outside and have a look at, depending on what time of day you're listening, sun or moon, have a look. And you realize it is way beyond you. Go down to the beach and see it's way beyond your comprehension. And that we have been given the privilege of stewarding this. And it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. And uh, Mark, who um, heads up Sustain, comes to my place for dinner from time to time when it's not locked down. He hasn't been here for quite a long time, but he's on my list of um, coming as soon as we're out of lockdown. And what Mark does that I love, and this is his heart with Sustain, Sometimes, as I've learned about sustainability over the years, I haven't always been great at it because I didn't, because I wasn't well educated into it. And when people condemn you for your lack of education, it doesn't help you want to change. You know, anyone, when anyone condemns you for anything, you don't want to change. But Mark comes to my place and I find him quietly sorting out my garbage, which is really kind, in a very non condemning way. And he teaches me something because he acts with grace and with love. And so, Mark, do you tell us a little bit about how you run Sustain? Said so that it's um, it's it's done. It's about the heart of God for the world, but it's done with the attitude of Jesus for other people. I'll just I'll add a little proviso there. It's not just uh, coming over just for the sake of sorting the the rubbish. It is. <laughs> it'll be Graham and I were sort of taking the, taking the rubbish out, and we'll do a bit of sorting then. So I am. And passionate, but maybe maybe not that passionate. Um, yeah, but onto the question, I think yeah, like you're saying, so we really when we started the group, it was really based on a desire to focus on highlighting you know positive alternatives rather than yeah. limiting people's choices, condemning people's behaviour. And I think that really um, it really invites people in. It doesn't push people away. It's you know it's coming from a place of love, not condemnation. And I think, you know, there's, there's existing things that we can do. There's existing technologies that, that are around that can really improve that, that relationship that we're talking about, that symbiotic, you know, relationship, that interconnectedness between humans and the planet. And so we have these existing things we can do, practices and technologies, so why not utilise them? 
great. It's great. And I love yeah. your heart for that. And I would really encourage more people to be involved with some of the things that you do. And I'll just come back to that in a moment. But I just want to ask Lauren because, you know, how do you think um, caring for the environment actually does enable us to care for the poor? Um, sometimes we just, you know, look like we're looking after animals, for instance, but and we know that there's children dying every day from starvation. Mm-hmm. Just how do those mm. two go together? Yeah, probably best to put it into like a concrete example. Um, and one that comes to mind, yeah, in some of the work I've done in the past is looking at, um, yeah, there's um, uh, some deforestation that may happen. Um, one place is I think of is Nepal, and it's linked to sort of flooding in Bangladesh. And so, well, Bangladesh is a developing nation that's poor. And not only that, they actually house a lot of refugees as well. And so the refugees are living in camps that are not well equipped to respond to a flood. And so when you're addressing an issue, now maybe you or I am not the ones to address deforestation, but it's something that you know somebody can do or we can all play a part in that. And Mark may able to give you some smaller ways, but by looking at that environmental issue and how can we meet that human need that we're talking about before of wood in a way that's not going to be causing that flooding, that is not going to be having it that awful impact on thousands and thousands of people who don't have the means to kind of respond to that. And so um, I guess I see um, meeting the needs of the poor, um, looking after the environment, they're just so interlinked. There's no, it's not the whole answer. And um, there are other ways like we need to be close to the poor. That's something that God asks of us um, and it requires listening to and understanding. I think that's something that I see a lot and that by being close to someone, you're able to to be generous in a way that's actually going to, yeah, meet their needs. And so I think, yeah, by understanding the issue, we can see that the environment is one way in which we can make sure that we, yeah, we answer that call to look after the poor and look after our neighbours, whether they be our next door neighbour or with those, you know, overseas. Mm. Fabulous. Generosity, as we're seeing in this whole challenge, is is more than just giving money. It's it's multifaceted. And yeah. um, Mark, with sustain, one of the things that you do is um, go bushwalking. I've seen photos. I've never been invited. So I hope I am one day. How do you think our relationship with nature enables us to live with a generous, generous and caring relationship towards the environment? Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, for me. Um, on a personal level, really, it was born out of around seven or eight years ago, I was actually sort of forced to, to really slow my life down as a result of some persistent health issues. And one of the fruits of that situation was a, a greater desire to explore my surroundings. So like you were saying, to bushwalking, even walking through suburbia, really interacting with our earth rather than just sort of, you know, passing through it from point A to point B. And I really have noticed that as that, as my relationship with nature has strengthened, as I've visited different locations or, um, you know, learned about plants and animals or become, just becoming more connected to place, I've also almost, it's, it's nearly been like a subconscious process that that desire to live more sustainably has really grown alongside that deepening relationship with our earth. Mm. And so I think really, you know, if you, build those relationships between people and God and the planet that he's given us, the desire to care for, for all of life, as we're talking about, 
for others and for, for plants and animals and, and just the, the planet that God's given us, that desire to care for all of life will, will naturally follow that process. Mm, that's beautiful. I've just been looking at the Psalms recently and they just blow your mind with giving you this beautiful picture of how you see God in creation. And it says in Psalm 8, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? I was listening to N.T. Wright recently and he said he goes outside in a starry night and he looks at those stars and he realises that their lifespan is millions of years longer than his little blip upon the earth and it, it makes him look in awe and wonder that with that question, what are mere mortals, God, that you should actually think about as human beings that you care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honour. It's outstanding that he created us in this magnificent universe and chose to crown us with glory and honour, which we could never do for ourselves. And you gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. I think it's just profound. In the end, yeah. when you really honour God, you really honour his creation and the people that he put in the world. And it's a sign of our, our love for God. And our more than that, it's our recognition of our humility, that we didn't create ourselves, that he loved us and he created us. And it's, I think it's something that human beings really need to know, that we are created beings loved by an amazing God and I encourage everyone to step outside tonight and look at the stars or in the day and just look at a tree in the garden or a plant and just take time to look and to dwell on the complexity the fact that every plant has some bird or insect or something that requires it. it's also beautiful and intricate and we mm -hmm. get to partner with it so I want to thank you, John and Mark and Lauren, for being part of this tonight. We've gone for a long time, and I'm blessed to, to know you all. And I'd just like to pray as we close. And I just invite everyone just to join with us in praying and just to humble ourselves, just to take a moment. Father, thank you that you love us and you created us. And what are we that you would think of us? And yet you do, and you sent Jesus to redeem us so that we could know you fully. May we all, Lord, know you more fully. May we see you in your creation. May we love you and give ourselves to honour you in the way that we care for people and this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take some time now to consider what really stood out to you in that message. God has been speaking to you. What is it that he said to you? If you're in the room with someone else, turn and share with them what stood out to you. And I say to them, how can I pray for you? Share with them something that you love about God and something that you're thankful for this week. Or phone someone and ask them those questions. What do you love about God? What are you thankful for this week? And how can I pray for you? Bless you and have a great week.